0: There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years, legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta.
1: Hey, hockey fans, welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Tino Redder. You know, I've spent over four decades working in the game of hockey. Fortunate enough to speak to some of the legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watched them shine in the game. Now they've moved on to life after the game. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's legend was the first overall selection in the 1987 NHL Draft played 19 seasons in the league for six different teams, scored over a point a game in his 1,294 career NHL games, a five-time All-Star Lady Bing winner, uh, one of only 46 players in NHL history with 500 or more goals, and now a member of the 2023 Hockey Hall of Fame class. Ladies and gentlemen, he is Pierre Turgeon. Pierre, thanks for checking
2: in with us. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, you, you mentioned, you said 87. That's been a couple years ago. My God.
0: You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Craveables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes, 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, hey, dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast. 24 seven use promo code free seven to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on seven. Now download the seven 11 app. You still look fantastic though. You're in good health. I assume.
2: I try to, I try to stay. I still play. I still get out there and play hockey. I love the game, you know, so it's been a part of my life and, uh, I still get on the ice, uh, and, and have fun, you know, so, but I still probably work out a couple times a week and, uh, I try to stay in shape. Yeah, I try to. That's a challenge. (laughs) The last
1: time you and I visited together was in the dressing room um, in Toronto at the Legends hockey game, getting ready for the Hockey Hall of Fame. It might have been last year or the year before, and you, you and I just caught up briefly having a chat. And you were there as a former great, but not yet a Hockey Hall of Famer. Yeah. You were kind of surrounded by all these Hockey Hall of Famers. Were you allowing yourself at that point to think maybe one day I won't be just a call-up to come and play in this game, <laughs> but rather a hall of favour?
2: It's funny you're saying this. Lanny McDonald, that's the first thing he told me on the phone. He goes, now you're going to be part of it. You don't have to just to come to play the game and leave right after. Uh, so, But you're right. I mean, you look around. It's amazing. I mean, all the names and the people you're with. And, but the great thing about hockey is, it's just a great world to be a part of. You know, you could be even in a locker room. You feel like you're, you're a part of these guys still. And there, it's, it's so much fun. You know, even guys you didn't know and you played against, you connect. There's a connection forever. You know, that's what hockey does, I feel like.
1: What was it like? You mentioned, Lenny McDonald, for those uh, listeners and viewers who don't know what happens yeah. The Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee meets, they vote, and then once they've decided, it's you're literally in the vault at the Hall of Fame, and they start making calls to let people know. So, yeah. And there's no leaks there, because they're literally making the calls as soon as they make the decision. Right. And so were you sitting at home? Were you thinking maybe tate will be the day? What was that phone call like? When so you
2: found- um, I'm in Vegas. Uh, with my family and uh, it's actually my sister-in-law's 50th birthday so where we go and we have fun and we're coming back that day but I'm go I'm at the gym I'm working out I'm on the treadmill and I get a phone call and uh to 416 so I'm like okay I'll get you know I'll, I'll get it and I'll call back and you know so I get another <laughs> call on the treadmill I said okay I get in the elevator I get another call I get in the hallway I get another call. And then when I got in the room, the fifth call, I said, "I better answer this one, you know." And and when I heard at the end of the night, it's Andy McDonald, I'm just okay. That's all you gotta say. I'm just pumped right now. That's all, you know." But I was so uh, what a great call to get, you know. These guys are, Lenny's Lenny, and I had a chance to meet him in Afghanistan when I went to Afghanistan. What a great guy! So getting a phone call from him, and uh, it was uh, it was uh, what a great day. It's beautiful.
1: All right, so you get that call, which is freaking awesome, obviously. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no
1: kidding. Who's your first call to after that?
2: My wife, obviously. So she's not with me. She's uh, at the table down in down Vegas. And I called her. I said, we can't say anything right now. And let's wait a bit. And, but she came up, and that, that was my first call. And I waited, obviously, before it was out. And then I started making phone calls, getting, you know, telling my kids and, and the family. So, uh, it's just an exciting day, you know. So I mean you hear I heard my name, you know, many years. You got, is it gonna happen? Is not gonna happen? And and it's one of those years that I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just in Vegas having fun, you know. And uh and the last thing that phone call for you know from Toronto, I'm like, Yeah, you know, it's you know, I don't know, I'll call back, whatever. I wasn't thinking much. And uh after the first call, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna get this one. And then uh, obviously great call to get and uh yeah, it's just just happy, just happy to be part of all this. It's just you know, when you look at all the names, it's uh, and being part of those names, that's crazy.
1: And really happy for you. Uh the smile that you have on your face is basically just that's that's who you are. I wanna get back to the to the humble way this all began. You know, being first overall, there are big expectations but you don't know what the transition is going to be like. And yeah. then you're going to the Buffalo Sabres. You, for our audience who may not know this, you don't speak a lot of English. <laughs> so you're, you're now introduced to one of the younger franchises in the NHL and you don't speak a lot of English. You don't really know that many people on the team. What is that like to say, oh my gosh, I'm going from small town Quebec where I'm playing major junior yeah. To a big city of Buffalo, I yeah. don't know the language, I don't know the people. What was that like for you?
2: So the biggest part is I have help from uh, from Jacques Cloutier. He was the, he was the backup goalie in in, in yeah. the Sabers, and I had a chance to live across, and I lived with a bit of family. So I used to call him all the time and say, "How do you say I'm hungry?" Like I mean, it's just you know, <laughs> you know things every day, and, and next thing you know is uh, you know I was I got to be friend with Jacques. Jacques, we're from the same town, also. And, uh, and you get to practice. The other thing is the coach is saying something. You get behind the line and hopefully when it's your turn, you get to know what's going on on your drill. So, and then you, if not, then you go back behind the line and you wait again until you get it. You know, so, so it was an adjustment. There's no doubt about that. Um, but when you get on the ice, there's, there's, it's home, you know. So even if you don't speak as well or you can't communicate as well, Uh, hockey's hockey and you get in your own little bubble and you get in that place where it's fun to be and it's just you know to have that focus going on Uh, but the biggest difference is from you know from being junior to going to the NHL you have 18,000 people watching the game you know and and the first couple games you're like wow this is amazing you know and uh, but I gotta say it took me probably 20 games to 25 30 games to really think that I belong here you know it, the, the game was faster. The guys are stronger. Buffalo was a smaller ice. You had the puck. It was gone. Um, so I, it took me some games to really feel like I was in 20 games of my first year to say, okay, this is going to be all right. I'm going to be okay here. So, But it is. The, 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 the step from the junior to the NHL is humongous. People don't realize, but you know, it's hard to make it. And when you think about it, there's only 700-something players that makes it every year. And that's it. It's in the world crazy and also but being part of this um and and being able to do something i love many years and had a career and it, it through the process of learning the language was one um you know and uh, but hockey was another one and then the people you need to hockey and i was blessed to do something i know so that's unbelievable
1: it was it's it's really interesting because the timing of it is is pretty interesting for for me personally because that was right when i started my television career okay in 87 as you're coming into the league i'm coming into television and i'm watching this guy play uh, in buffalo and and what you did i mean you're humble so you say that's just hockey but you were in there i think it was your third season in the league you had 100 points you're up there with some of the greatest of all time scorers mm-hmm. with Gretzky, Lemieux, Messier, Iserman. You're right up there amongst the leading scorers yeah. <laughs> and you're just three years into the league. What was that like for you? To, did you ever look at the leading scorers and go, oh my God, I am I'm, I'm right there with these guys.
2: Uh, Yeah, I know because these guys are these guys. I mean, they're in a different level. I feel like even but you I- were in that level though. <laughs> Yeah, but you know Gretzky and Lemieux, Gretzky and Lemieux, and it's just these guys. It was just and uh, but just you know, and being able to be a part of of the platform, the NHL, and just being in there, and uh, and and I was thinking, my first couple of years, you know, I'm. Just just wanna, you know, if I could last six years, I'll be happy. You know, ten years maybe wow. You know this. And then if I could save as much as I can, because we were making less money. And then that's that was my thinking. I have a I could finish my career, have a house paid, and just man, I could go work and I could do different that was my mentality when I started my career. And um play nineteen season. So that's it's uh and I loved it, you know. So sure there's moment that's harder, sure there's moment that's it's not not always easy, but uh but, you know, every time I put my two feet on the ice, I feel really, um, it, just, it feels right. Even today, yep. I just don't feel the same way the next day. That's all. But yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's right. it's, yeah, yeah. But it's, 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 uh, it's fun. I, I, I enjoy, it. but you're right. I mean, playing a part of the best players in the NHL or in the world and, yeah. uh, and being a part of playing against Gretzky or Lemieux or Messier or these guys, that's, that's unbelievable, you know? And, uh, you know, for me, I, like I said, Earlier, it's just just so to do something I love, and playing is the best player in the world. And I
1: uh, love the game. Love the game. You mentioned home, and and for you, home in the NHL meant a couple of different things because it yeah. changed. Yeah. you start your career in Buffalo, things went yeah. real well there. You were a good scorer in there, and then you're part of a very significant deal with one of the all-time legends of the game, Pat Lafontaine, and you yeah. get traded to the New York Islanders. What was that like for you?
2: Well, it was hard because the first trade, especially then early in the career, it was like, everyone was staying in the same place and, you know, for a lot of years and stuff, they were starting, you know, and when obviously when Wayne got traded to LA, like everyone was like, oh, the point gets traded uh, ra- <laughs> <till laughs> <now. laughs> after that, you're like, okay. So, but it was a hard adjustment, but the second one was fine. The hardest one was the first one, definitely. And uh, But I got traded like three times and then it was all signing. I signed a free agency twice. And uh, so that was uh, traded from Buffalo to Long Island, Long Island, Montreal, Montreal to St. Louis. And then after that, I was able to choose where I was going through all this. But uh, uh, but it's always hard. What's hard is when the kids are getting older and you're in a place where, especially when we were in Dallas, great city, great place to live. And the kids have friends, schools, and the moving part is not easy. And obviously you got to have the right, good people. My wife is great, obviously, with all that. And... Uh, And the kids. But looking back now, you meet—we met a ton of people to all these cities, and we're still good friends with a lot of people. And uh, so it brought us some good things. But in the moment, it's not always easy when you move around, for sure.
1: But you kept producing. I mean, uh, I mentioned right off the top of the show that you're uh, one of, you know, 46 people in NHL history to score 500 goals. You had a great year. Uh, on the island. Things went, a great transition mm-hmm. for a 92-93 season. You had a career best, 58 goals, 132 points, um, which was 8th in the league at that point. At it's this point, apart from Connor McDavid, you'd be number one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's unbelievable what you think about it. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, The the whole goal scoring side of things for you never seemed to sink into you at how good you were. and And here's why I say that, because you're on a line with, with Stumpy, Steve Thomas, yeah. on the And he says, this is his quote, Pierre is different from most superstars. He doesn't know how good he is. So when I have a chance, I have to remind him. <laughs> did, you, did you find that people had to remind you? Stump, because Stumpy was
2: unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, how fun was it to play with Steve Thomas and Derrick King? You know, yeah. I, I mean, these guys, Steve could create with his speed and just, with, and he, he was not a big guy, but he was spicy. And yeah. He could create some a lot of a lot of scoring chance by with his speeds in. and and uh, he always told me and even you know Derek King goes I don't want the puck while well, I do. So just give it to me. I want it. <laughs> they, yeah. So he, he doesn't want to have the puck in the neutral zone. He says, when I get around the net, then give it to me. That's what I. That's where I want. I said okay, and I don't have a problem with that. So, but it was fun to play with these guys. Obviously, these guys were uh, they good hockey players, good hockey sense, and, and they worked, you know. And uh, and we just had a great chemistry. Um, and that team we had in '93 was just a great team to be part of. Al Arbor was just. I mean, we learned so much from Al. Uh, wisdom you know he's a dad he was just he helped us you know he was so calm I mean it's just but he could see what was going on you know I always remember when things were going well and we had a good night he saw it right away he goes okay short shift yeah. why because we were going back all the time he's always yeah so but he could see that game and uh, I learned so much from Al and playing, playing with these guys the group we had in was incredible you know you know a lot of people will still meet, you know, once once a year, try to in a way, but it's fun, fun to see these guys for
0: sure. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code free seven to get seven dollars off your first two orders of fifteen dollars or more on seven now. Download the Seven Eleven app. In conversation with hockey Hall of Famer
1: Pierre Turgeon, this is the Seven Eleven Overtime podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. You mentioned the '92 '93 season. Um, you guys had a good playoff run that year, and it led to the incident. Yep. And um, yep. people, it's it's one of the most disturbing pieces of video that I remember in NHL history, because it just took us to a different level. Let me set the backdrop Mm -hmm. now. Uh, Gary Bettman is taking over the league as the NHL commissioner. He comes in and says, if we're going to sell this game to the U S we got to clean it up a little bit. So he made all kinds of promises. We're going to clean this game up. We're going to get, you know, this out of the game and the nastiness out of the game, because we need to sell it to the U S networks because that's where the cash is. And then the incident happens. You're facing the Islanders and the Capitals. You're in the playoffs, Game Six. You're up four to one in the game. You score. Take our audience through what happens next.
2: Well, so we was it was Game Five, if I'm not mistaken, and we were. It was just at the end of the and then putting another goal and scoring that goal. It was it was the actually the end of, of the cap, and yeah. and we were moving forward for the next round against Pittsburgh. So, uh, but so I'm celebrating obviously, score blocker side over the pads, and like I'm just facing the crowd after. Four, three or four seconds. I'm just, you know, yeah. and I really felt, so I separated my shoulder at that point. So I went down, couldn't get up. It's just, and then I was out for, I think I came back two weeks after, you know, weird yes. thing, but that's crazy. I had one shoulder against Montreal. I, I couldn't, couldn't do anything. But, but uh, the
1: big thing was though, you were completely vulnerable. You had no idea it was coming. Yeah. You had just yeah. scored the goal. The yeah. game was out of hand. You were just skating away from the play and Dale Hunter just smoked you. You were completely yeah. vulnerable. I think all of us were just kind of in shock. Like, did that really just happen?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, obviously, you're you're in the game. You're focusing, and this happened. On, and looking back, I mean, I mean, it, it was a '93. so was obviously many years ago. But I think frustration came in play. You know, and and. But it was the biggest suspension that I had at that point, if I'm not mistaken.
1: And it was 150000 bucks to the team and $150,000 in salary for Dale, which was like a quarter of a salary.
2: That's big. So it's the biggest suspension. So, I mean, those things, obviously, you got to put consequences. It's got to be. And I felt like he had consequences for that for sure. So, yeah.
1: Did he ever call you to
2: talk to you about it afterwards? The three days after. So it was a little rough. <laughs> so I never seen Dale after. You know, I, I never seen, never seen him after so but three days after we he called me and and uh, and, uh mentioned that uh he felt bad about it.
1: listen the good news was you were okay you came back a couple of weeks yeah. later which is great yeah. and it really established a, a shift in the league where it said you can't do this anymore yeah and that's you, right
2: which is good we oh, don't want gosh, that
1: which is good for the game
2: 100 100 yeah
1: now let's get to something that was good for you and now oh maybe oh, let me ask you this in april of 1995 you're French Canadian. You get yeah. dealt to the mecca of hockey, yeah. <laughs> From a French Canadian yeah. standpoint, yeah. to the Montreal yeah. Canadiens, it was a little rough initially. You talked about the deal to Dallas, maybe a little bit rough. What was it like to be to find out you're going to Montreal?
2: I was happy. I mean, how can you not? I mean, I grew up in Montreal. I'm Montreal, so I'm like, I'm thinking, wow, you know. Um, so a lot of things happened. Obviously, you know. So Serge left Sabar. Uh, you know, and we had we had a bunch of the GM left, the coach staff, we knew his coaching staff, you know, Patrick was situation, uh, leaving the farm, opening the motion center. This is hold on, hold on. You're- Let me
1: stop you on the Patrick was situation. The yeah. Patrick was situation yeah. was the big blowout night where Wall came back to the bench and said, Yeah, that's it for me. You might yeah. as well move me. I'm done here. You mm-hmm. are on the bench when yeah. that actually happened, yeah. what part of that conversation did you hear? And what were you involved with Patrick or afterwards?
2: Um, well, I knew that he says that it was going to be the last game. He's going to play for the Montreal Canadian. I, 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 cause I drove with Patrick all the time. So going back from Rosemary to the forum. So I drove with him all the time. So, um, uh, and I was sitting right beside him. So we talked all the time. I still talked to him today, you know, his friend and, uh, you know, it's, it's, one of those things that happened that, uh, you know, like that situation, but it was many situations that happened that they were trying to find, I think stability and just go back to, you know, go back to winning and, and, um, and, and, you know, a lot of things happened during that time, but I was only there for two years, you know, so Patrick's situation was, was a big one, but the other thing was, uh, closing the farm. Wow. You know, what, what, what an incredible thing for me. I was the right at the right place, the right time as a captain, you know, and having the torch, closing the form, the history in there, the, ca- the ceremony, the captain on the ice, the <laughs> rocket, Jean Beliveau. I mean, name it. Wow, you know, I I still got goosebumps when I talk about it. It's crazy. And it's just for me. I, I as a young kid growing up seven hours north of Montreal and being a part of this, wow. And and what a history that you know in the rocket, the ovation they had for you know, seven minutes ovation, and it was just, it was incredible.
1: For our audience that doesn't know the story, just a little bit of a backstory. As the Montreal Forum, the story forum was closing and you were getting to move on to the new building, they brought in all the former captains and the current captain, which has yep. happened to be you. Yep. <laughs> you were wearing That's right, sea. that's right. Timing. And they did the passing of the torch ceremony from the oldest still alive captain and which involved Maurice Richard and Jean Beliveau, passing the torch, had passing the torch, and then you were the last person to receive the torch. What was it like? To be a part of a ceremony like that, and you're like, my God, these are some of the greatest Montreal Canadians, guys who I grew up watching of all time.
2: It's 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 just a like it's a privilege. You, you feel it. You're 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 you can't believe it. You know, it's just you're looking around on the ice and the, and you're going to all the players and the names out there is. It's amazing. And only that's the history of the Montreal Canadiens, you know, and the people that was there. And uh, and just like I said earlier, you know, that's right place, right time. And and having the torch, leaving the last guy to the torch from the Montreal and the first guy going to the, uh, you know, bring the torch in the uh, Bell Centre, Molson uh, Centre was just, you know, incredible. And, uh, you know, people after the games stayed there until morning. They didn't want to leave. It was the last time. It was it. You know, and uh, so there's, there's, um, I don't know. I, for me, I was just less just there and, and being part of that celebration and how the that red carpet then went all the way around and you see everyone around it and, and it was just uh, what an incredible night and uh, and I'm so glad I was able to be, be able to be a part of it. You know, so but like I said, a young kid from new North of Montreal. Is in the middle of that
1: forum, the torch. Wow, Pierre. There were there were moments like that, which clearly we look at as hockey fans and say, "I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget that." Um, and those are, you know, clearly above and beyond the rest. Are there other moments that you kind of you miss or look back on with that maybe we wouldn't recognize as much as it happened to you, where you think? You know, this was special to me too. Maybe other people didn't see it, but this meant a lot to me. What yeah. moment that you can reflect on now as somebody who's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame?
2: Yeah. St. Saint, Saint Louis was obviously the uh, New York Calendars, you know, 93, uh special group. Al Arbor is probably our core that made us believe that we could beat the Penguins in 93 and everyone was like, no, it's impossible. But I'll goes, oh, yeah, it's possible, you know? So, and we're like, we're looking at I was like, okay, you know? Next thing you know, was game seven, overtime. And uh, and uh, we went in overtime. But the funny thing is, I just mentioned this to some of the guys when I was in, the, in Long Island. Um, and it, we are No. OT, second OT, if I'm not mistaken, a third. And, and, and I could see the level of the game going down. I have one shoulder. So, and I'm not supposed to be dressed. I'm not supposed to be on the bench. But I asked Al. I said, because I know the Fort line wasn't playing as much. And I said, can I be on the bench? So he dressed me on the game seven against the the Penguins. And um, so the game is slowing down. It's not going. Uh, and and he goes to me right before we score. He goes, Are you ready? I wasn't. I have one shoulder. I'm not supposed to be out there. And I said, Yes. And and David Volek scored from a pass from Maria Ferraro and then against Tom Barrasso and that's how we eliminated uh the penguins. But I was supposed to go on the ice with one shoulder and I could see the level dropping down and just the energy is, you know, and I have full of energy. I'm ready. So yeah. anyway, so a little story there that you know I didn't go on the ice, we won, but I was supposed to win the ice and it would see. Uh one of the yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, just the emotion, the adrenaline they had. I wanted to go. It just didn't matter. I, I wanted to go. So I don't know what. So uh, that's one. And and the other thing is St. Louis um, against Phoenix. We were losing losing three one in the series. and We came back to win in OT. And I you know I deflected the puck to win in OT game seven. So uh, St. Louis was a fun place to play. Also, um, you know there's a lot of good places, but I love. St. Louis, end, I played with Brett. I know what a group, you know, it's crazy. A bad pass was a good pass, you know. So yeah, he should, exactly. <laughs> he made it a good pass, you know. And funny story with with him is at the end of practice, uh, um, he goes, uh, he goes, your sticks is not good. So he decries and so he tells me. So and I said, okay. And he goes, I'll show you how to do it one time. He showed me how to do it one time. I'm 27 years old at that point, point. 10 years in the league. I'm thinking, okay, yeah. all right, that's your know.
1: seasons already.
2: Yeah. So, um, and I'm thinking, and I came out of there and learned something. I learned something. It's crazy. Yeah. So, you never stop learning. My point is, you know, he was saying you're up, your upper hand away from your body. So, if, if the pass is more forward, you can move your hands forward and then let the stick do the work. So, all other things, but I learned something at 27 years old. And even today when I coach, I used to coach kids and I used to I still teach that just because it was from Brett. And Brett was uh best guy that could shoot the puck at you. I mean, you know, like I said, a bad pass, he needed a good pass. Yeah. Crazy how good he was. And playing with Al McInnes, Chris Chris Fonger Al McInnes, these guys. Wow. You know, so we had an incredible team for sure. That was fun to play there.
1: You look fantastic. You look happy. You look like you're in great shape. Um, you're now living in uh, Colorado, right? Florida. Oh, you live in Florida. Sorry, you're in Colorado right now, though, as we're speaking, right? So
2: Colorado, my kids are all in here. So we're back and forth. We spend a lot of time in the summer here, but the winter time dying one more. And you know, so we spend probably seven, or eight months or so in Florida. And then the rest, we just travel and come see the kids. And even that, being in Florida, the kids want to come visit, which is good. That's what we want. And we have yeah. grandkids too. So best part of life. You know, the grandkids so that that's a lot of fun so i enjoy uh, i enjoy the traveling part i do things with you know i do a you know i did Mario Muse fantasy camp uh like i'm the islanders had something i'm gonna go to tomorrow i'm leaving for pat lafontaine's golf tournament in new york Uh so i'm it's it's easy you know i, I do things i want to do i'm very blessed to be able to do that do that and uh and uh, I keep busy that way. And I still work it out. I'm still playing hockey. I still play the game. And I still love the game, you know. And uh, and uh, so that's how I keep busy.
1: Your son, Dominic, if I'm not incorrect, was drafted by the Red Wings back yep. in 2016. Is he still playing yep. somewhere?
2: Or? He, he actually played in Finland last year. And now he's in Sweden. So he's staying in Sweden. So he's going to be flying back in November, which is very good. That's cool. I'm going to yeah, be able to be a part of it. So that's very cool. He's still playing. He's 27 years old. And, uh, you know, whatever it goes, it goes. And he's trying to stretch his career. And uh, as long as he's still having fun at the end of the day, that's yeah. what it comes down to. And then when it's time to go, time to go. And your, da- your daughter
1: Val played at Harvard for a couple of years? That's
2: right. She did. Yeah. She played a couple of years in Harvard. And uh, and uh, I coached her for many years. I was involved in coaching. I love that part, too. So I coached the girls, so I couldn't believe how competitive that was, you know. And uh so I love that part, love that part, and then even my oldest one. I mean, that passed away in a car accident in 2010. So we struggled with this for, for a lot of years, but I was thankful that I was able to spend a lot two years, three years uh when I retired to culture being involved around her. So I was you know, I really enjoyed that part too for sure. And my and her twin that's got two baby now, she went to uh the U, Denver University, she played volleyball here. And uh, it was just different You go see a different sport,
1: you know. Life throws you some, some horrible situations, and, yep. and you seem to have adjusted to it quite well. To, to what do you attribute that? Is it, is it things you've learned along the way? Is it your parenting coming up? Or where did you get that from?
2: I think my, you know, parents, obviously, uh, my, my dad was a lumberjack, worked hard, my mom was, you know, she cleaned houses and, uh, and they were very, you know, humble. Just, I love being, my a lot of respect my parents. We learn a lot. And, uh, and but going through adversity like this, I mean, it takes, you, you never know how to expect that. You never know how to deal with it. I mean, it takes time, you know, it took us two years and to be honest, we felt like we were stuck in muds for a couple of years. You know, getting up in the morning, it's heavy. You just feel like, and then you have a bunch of questions. Why not me? Why not her? Why not you? Now you could go, why to a girl, you know, she's got a beautiful life in front of her. And and uh, I think now um, I don't want to waste the time with my other kids. I wouldn't embrace that time, my grandkids. Life is fragile. So I think we want to... I try to work on it every day, try to slow it down as much as I can so I can embrace smaller things. It doesn't need to be big things, you know? So embrace the moment. Just go, you know, it doesn't, look at the tree, look at the bird, whatever it is that makes you be in that moment, stay there, you know? And I work at it and try to. And I think that's something that i learned through that adversity. And, uh, and even today, I mean, it's, you know, I think you never forget. You just how to learn to live with it. You know, that's probably what, I, you know, and then, uh, but and it's still it's still a struggle. I mean, some days you just might be driving, listen to the music that she used to hear and used to hear around her or play and it brings you back there. So and it's, uh, but it's um, today I want to be here and I want to, and when I, it's going to be time to go, it's going to be time to go. But before I go, <laughs> I want to embrace the time I have with the people that I love around me. So I want to wow. embrace that.
1: So well said. Before we started recording, you and I um, were talking about our grandchildren. How amazing is that to have that stage of life to share with grandchildren?
2: Oh, seeing the kids, you know, and now it's funny because she's two and a half. She's talking to us like we should understand what she's saying. (laughs) And you're like, and you look at mom and mom goes, that's what she started to say. You're like, okay, this is funny. But this is the great part of just seeing the change every day, every week. and, And and uh, it's just fun. And then we have one that was born in ju- in July fifth, and yeah. so little boy Liam, and uh, and so it's pretty cool. And then uh, Alexandra, her twin, that you know Elizabeth passed away. She named her daughter her daughter Elizabeth just like her sister that passed away. Crazy. Wow. I know. I know. That was very emotional when she announced that for
1: us. Boy, you've gone through some things, some incredible things, my friend. It's yeah. been so good. It was so nice to catch up with you at the Legends hockey game. And I was thinking in my head, and I didn't want to say this to you then, it'll be so great when I get to to be a part of the ceremony where I get to put the jacket on you at Center Ice. That's
2: so and good. And now I get, get a is.
1: chance to do that, which I am so looking forward to. It is so well-deserved for you. Uh, really appreciate your time. Before you take off, can we play yeah. five fast facts with you? Do you mind? Do it. I'll ask you five quick questions and this will just tell us a little some key facts about you. Okay, y'all set? Okay. Name the best teammate that you ever played with. I stumped you already.
2: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean you, I, you Brett Hall, but there's there's many, you know, Al McKinnis. Yeah. There's I, I it's you told me, you know, and then uh, Alexander Mulgilney.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh you could go, you could go Dave Enderchuk.
1: You played with some great ones. All right, let me ask you this, and I think I know the answer to this one. Who was the best coach you ever played for? Uh, Alarbor. Yeah, I figured that one was going to be yeah. easy. <laughs> who did you Joe, hate? Joe playing? is
2: right there. Joe Quinville is right there for sure for me. Joe Quinville. love the man.
1: Yeah. All right. Joe Fair is enough. A but coach Al Al Arbor <laughs>
2: Alarbor. Alarbor. Yeah. <laughs> who yeah. did
1: the Who did you hate playing against the most, and why? Um, I didn't
2: mind the physical part when I. Then mine was someone who was good with the sticks and took away your time and space to create. Lindstrom, Rayborg, these two to me,
0: because you yeah, know I what they
2: took away. Yeah, they took away time and space. That's that's what I didn't like as much. So let's say this: I knew exactly when the face-off happened, where Rayborg and Lindstrom were on the ice. I went the other side. I should know.
1: <laughs> Yeah,
2: for sure. And yeah. I so say you might come across, but you know what? I'm going to a place where I might have had the time to. But they, they give you, they got close to you enough before you got that puck, so they just could poke you and took away. Or you try to make a pass over a stick, you know, and then they got in the air and they, they put it down. But, you know, so it was hard to play against these guys because they were so good with time and space.
1: All right. You played in a number of different NHL cities. I mentioned that right off the top. Yep. Was there one that was your favorite NHL city to play in? I mean, I would think
2: Montreal, because that's where you're from. (laughs) Montreal, Chicago. I love Chicago, too.
1: Yeah. If you hadn't become an NHL player, what career would you have had instead? Was there a plan B?
2: Uh, No, but with time, I love uh, architecture. I love design. a weird thing, but yeah, I just... All the house we built, I draw down. I just like to draw. Weird. That's, very impressive. that's are, very impressive. I like our, yeah, that's what I like.
1: Hockey Hall of Famer Pierre Turgeon. Pierre, thank you so much for this. This has been so much fun. Thank you for doing this with us.
2: Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Hockey Hall of Famer Pierre Turgeon. One of only 46 players in NHL history with 500 or more points. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, a pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7-Now app. Team 7-Eleven will have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you miss any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, iTunes, Podcast, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta. saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast.
0: You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Craveables, like their world-famous taquitos, Fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, Hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app.